0: Welcome. You're listening to the rest of the sermon, a podcast where we dive deeper in content and conversation of last Sunday's sermon at Westside in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For more information, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. Welcome back. Welcome back to the rest of the sermon. I am Pastor Tyler here with Pastor Jason Jordan. How you doing, Jason? I'm doing good, buddy. How's everybody doing today? Uh, I hope everyone's doing well. If you could just say, if you could tell us how you're doing right now, we'll give you two seconds. I'm good. Just a little bit
1: physically tired. I played basketball this morning Yeah. and I know I'm still a young man. I'm not old by any stretch of the imagination, (laughs) but my body does not recover. Like it did when I taught student ministry and could live off White Castle. Yeah. Mountain Dew, stay up super late and just hit the ground running. Um, Isn't that something? Dude, if I stay up too late, it's like a three-day recovery. Right. Like,
0: (laughs) yeah, your body's like, this is, we're not going to do this. I can't do it, it, It's time to shut down for the first two hours of the day. I'm just in such a dad mode, so, yeah. Yeah. When I said, I'm going to give you two seconds, I was talking to our listeners, I was trying to be tongue-in-cheek, and you were like, okay, I'm going to talk about my day really fast. Oh, (laughs) wow. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I'm sorry about that. I'm doing well, things are good, we are uh, back in the book of Colossians for the Second week here after Good Friday and Easter. And we have sort of jumped into the back half, the very end of chapter three, and the very first verse of chapter four. Um, and the title of your sermon this weekend was An Embassy for the Kingdom. Mm. Um, and can you talk about uh, the embassy and what that means? And then once you're done with that, I'm going to read us through the text and thank God for his word. So yeah, man. what's an embassy for the kingdom mean?
1: Yeah, so as I was reading, the Apostle Paul shifts gears and starting in verse 18, uh, he says the word wives. And so he addresses multiple categories, wives, husbands, children, parents, bondservants, masters, And this gets boots on the ground. But we've said that Colossians chapter 3... Verse 1 and 2 are the thesis statement for the rest of chapter 3, which is, since you have been raised with Christ. So now that's our identity. Um, Our identity is found in the person and work of Jesus. And so as I was reading through these verses, I've just been reading a lot about World War II, the Blitz um, in London, and all of that stuff. And one of the things that happened when Germany started bombing is if you were an American citizen over in London at the time, uh, a statement was issued, you've got to get to the U.S. embassy. Right now. Yeah. Because an embassy is technically um still kind of like US soil yeah. in a foreign land. Yeah. So if you're an American citizen, you run to the embassy, you can get some McDonald's and a Diet Coke. Right. So, you yeah. know, it's um And
0: find sanctuary and yes, it's a safe house. That's the thing. The, the surround the country that the embassy is in doesn't have jurisdiction within nope. the confines of literally of through the those doors, yeah. there's no jurisdiction. Yeah. And I thought that's exactly
1: what the Apostle Paul is saying. In the book of Philippians, he would say that our citizenship is in heaven. Yeah. So when I started looking at the home, which is really what he's primarily talking about, and then from the home, he talks about work, which is a really interesting parallel that we'll get into later on next week. Um, I thought, that's it. It's an embassy of heaven, of the kingdom of God here on earth. In the Christian home, there's roles, there's distinction, there's, you know, I even made the statement, you know, here in Southeast Missouri, when you travel up north or go somewhere, one of the first things somebody says to you is, hmm, where are you from? Because <laughs> be- you're not from here. <laughs> because the, your ease are real drawn out, yeah. you know, and so um we speak differently. And so such as it is for us to be citizens of the kingdom of God, yeah, we speak differently, we live differently. And I believe the nucleus of that starts in the home. Mm. And so that was the embassy aspect. That's yeah. just what came to my mind.
0: Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about the home. We're going to be uh, we're going to be talking uh, quite a bit about marriage yep. and the way that the the home is formed by that and how it can reflect the kingdom of God. In the home and specifically in the marriage, so I'm going to read our text that was this week. Uh, It is Colossians chapter three, verse eighteen, all the way through the end there of chapter three, and the very first verse of chapter four. So pause, uh, pause the podcast, turn to Colossians chapter three, and get to verse eighteen, and then you can follow along and have your eyes on Scripture with us. Colossians chapter three, verse eighteen: Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for his word. Thanks be to God for his word. So we talked a little bit about the embassy. Um, The first thing that came to mind for me was the born Identity. Mm. It's like like when he's running around and he's like... Destroying everybody in the embassy. Is he he in Russia? I can't remember where he is. He's in Moscow. He's in Moscow. Moscow. And he hoofs it to the embassy uh, after like spider manning his way out of that building. Yep, after
1: Go- assaulting someone with a newspaper or an ink
0: pen or <laughs> yeah, something like yeah, that. And yeah, and sneezing while holding a rubber band and 10 people are dead. Yep. Yeah, um, and he makes his way into the embassy and then uh, he finds all these treasures and values and their keys to like who he was and his past and everything. And that's the first thing that that's came, great. To my, came to my mind when I saw that. And I love the idea of the embassy being a place that's safe. It's a place that you can come mm. in and that you're welcomed and that you're safe. That's good. Um, and the big idea for this week was was just that. The Christian's Home is an embassy of heaven on earth. And we sort of slip into these three crucial concepts that we see that you kind of unpacked for us. And the first one is this, God created the family. Yeah. God created the family. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we sort of see the first marriage ceremony and God's yep. the officiant. God is the officiator between Adam and Eve and, 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 mar- and they are married and become one flesh and cleave to one another. And my first question is this, why do we have to start there? Like, why do we have to start with God's standard of marriage and his, his, his level of marriage and his idea of marriage and his plan for marriage, why can't our standard of family just be where we are at or yeah. what our culture says it is or what we think it is?
1: Why do we yeah. have to start there? That's a great question. And I think it's a tension that um, communicators and preachers deal with. Like I, anytime I watch an old Billy Graham crusade, when he gets up to preach, he says in a stadium full of people, open up your Bibles with me tonight. And I think that's so significant because if you did that today, nobody would have their Bibles. Yeah. And the reason why I say that is because I believe society is so far removed yeah. from or caricatured. Christians are caricatured as to what they believe in the mm-hmm. Simpsons or you know, Ned Flanders or something like that, yeah. that you have to spend time dismantling or like what we said, there's three crucial foundational concepts before yeah. we even get into this text. Yeah. I mean, that was probably 20 minutes of the sermon yeah. to go, this is where all of this is coming from. Yeah. And I think the reason why we have to do that is because marriage is not a secular idea. It mm. is a sacred idea. Yeah, It is God's design. Yeah. So we as Christians, um, I believe, possess and should possess, let me say it that way, the most humble attitude when it comes to this, because we are able to say, we have not created this concept. We place ourselves under the creator's design. And it's so fundamental that it moves from creation of the galaxies and light and vegetation to mankind. And it's good. And so I think you have to start with that foundation understanding that this is God's idea because just as Proverbs says, there's a way that seems right to man and in the end will lead us all to death. It'll kill everybody in the end. <laughs> right. And, and I think, man, when you look at society from Nickelodeon to whatever, man, everybody has an opinion about yeah. the family and especially about marriage. And I'm just over here like, Guys, we've tried everything. Yeah, every every sitcom. Yeah, every from Friends. Right. To like, we've. I'm exhausted. Yeah. From that. Yeah. Why not? Why not give it a go? Yeah, you know. Well, so. and it's
0: not just marriage. I mean, it's it's sort of the it's sort of the way by which we are are cultivated right now by our culture to to process and to think. There's really no critical thinking. Uh, let Let me use like the vaccine for example. Like, yeah. like, oh, like, oh yeah. man, we're just we're talking about marriage let's, and the CDC this morning. Do it. Let's do this. Um, the if if you make a decision based on whether if you make a decision of whether or not you're going to get the vaccine for coronavirus. Solely based on what you do or don't see on social media. Whoa. Um, That's probably not the best choice. That's probably not the greatest source for information in order to decide whether or not something is healthy for your body or for your family. It's going to require some work. It's going to require some research. It's going to require some visiting the CDC website and seeing what doctors who have spent half of their life studying would recommend to you do with your body and with your family, but that and, that assumes
1: a posture of humility. Correct, and so correct. one of the reasons why, you know, anytime I teach on something like this, West Side is blessed and fortunate. We have a ton of young married couples, yeah. young families, yeah. first time Christians. Yeah, I'm talking first time. I know men who are married and they're the first Christian from their great, like, grandfather that yeah. they know of. I mean, we're talking, we're breaking, like, generational chains yeah. here. Yeah. And so we've got to go back to the origin yeah. of a concept. So yeah. that's why we always
0: start there. Well, and even in the origin of it, um, we see that we can be humbled and that we're not enough to create an idea of our own idea of marriage. And by
1: the like, way, that that's very freeing. Yeah. Anybody listening to yeah. this, if if you feel like maybe you're dating, maybe you're single and you're like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm hearing all of these, you know, I listen to all these podcasts and girl, wash your face or girl, get up and tie your <laughs> shoe or I don't know. It's all of this stuff. It's yeah. all this Pinterest stuff. Right. That's exhausting. Yeah. To, to have to have your own view of right. what well I think... Listen. What I'm telling you is there's freedom
0: yeah. in submitting to God's word. Yeah. There's freedom in saying I don't know. It's not on you. Yeah. So I yeah I just think it's very free. Yeah. yeah. Well, and even in the creation account, we see God. Cre- well, and we read this together out loud on on Sunday. Uh, Genesis one thirty one. It's the very end of the creation account. Um, uh, and it says in verse thirty one, and God said, God saw everything that He had made. This is including man and woman. And behold, it was. Everything, everything else in the creation account, he says, and he saw that it was good. And then once, once the marriage is created, he said he saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Mm, come on. And there was evening, and there was morning, and there was the sixth day. And so God rests on the seventh day from, from working his tail off and creating the cosmos all the way down to, to marriage. But we see this good thing, this very good thing that yes. God has made. And it didn't require us. Yep. And it didn't require our input. And even in this, even in the fall, as we jump into into Genesis chapter three, we see a reason for why we should be humble when we approach the idea of marriage, and that's because sin distorted the family. That's the second concept. Yeah. Yeah. Why is it important that we don't skip this step? Because a lot of times we'll see an action like, "Oh, okay," like I need to correct my thinking, then we'll jump right across the water surface line to like, "Okay, I need to have my own better idea of marriage." Why can't we? Why is it important that we plumb the depths and go down to, oh, sin distorted the family? Why do we need to acknowledge that? Why do we need to understand sin's impact on the family? I can tell you that just from a reaction during the sermon.
1: I said, (laughs) the home, according to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians and Colossians, is supposed to be a preview of heaven on earth. And people laughed.
0: Yeah, (laughs) They were like...
1: Um most of the time the home is like hell on earth. <laughs> They're like, "Yeah, right, have you seen my house?" Right. And it's yeah. and and it's because we see what it's supposed to be, but we live in what it is. Yeah. And there's a great tension there. Yeah. And we need to know why there is this tension. Why why you know, I say very jokingly, they have a term for people that are struggling in their marriage and it's called married. <laughs> Like, and, and, but guys, that's, that's supposed to just breathe this breath of air to go. There is something working against this. And listen, I mean, we are very, um, we're a Bible church. We pride ourselves in that, but listen, even Bible people sometimes forget the first thing that was attacked was a marriage. Yeah. Okay. And even this past week, I was just shocked in Ephesians five, when the apostle Paul talks about the home the verses right after that are about spiritual warfare. This is not by accident or by happenstance. Yeah. That when you say the home and distinct roles are a good thing created by God, the culture... Push, would not say that it's very good. They would yeah. say that it's very bad. And so um, we have to know that sin distorted this. Yeah. And um, Can
0: we talk about how? Yep. Can we talk about how? I'm going to read from Genesis chapter three. I'm not going to read the whole, actually, I'm just going to read it. I'm going to read from verse one all the way until, uh, I'm going to read all the way until uh, sort of the consequences of sin. Yeah, man. Uh, so now this, this is Genesis three. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when, this is the shift. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of it, of its fruit, and ate, yeah, right? (laughs) And she also gave some to her weak, passive husband, who said nothing, it's not in there, um, who was with her, and he ate as well. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden mm. but the Lord God called to the man and said to him where are you
1: man it's so it's so heartbreaking because there's there's poetry there but there's something underneath that yeah. and and what's underneath that is god isn't enough mm. god's not enough yeah what what god has said um or or maybe this question you know that the enemy poses did god really say the question is is god good mm. Is he good?
0: Yeah. Can you trust him?
1: Can you trust him um, yeah. in that sense? One of the things I want to do when we when you ask that very directly, how has sin distorted it? Yeah. One of the ideas behind this podcast was kind of the riff of the Paul Harvey, the rest of the sermon or the yeah. rest of the story. There is a statement um, com- that comes from a camp that I would align with and agree with. I don't um, agree with all the implications. Yeah. Um, there's very little in this world that I would just wholeheartedly say. Eat everything in this, okay? But it's called the Danverse uh, Statement, and it's D-A-N-V-E-R-S, and it was written in the late 80s uh, by a group of guys, Dr. Wayne Grudem, Dr. John Piper, and um, in the statement, they sort of saw where the culture was going. And even in seminaries, they saw where these roles and these things were being played out. So they just formulated um, a statement saying, this is what we affirm. Because yeah. again, we have to start here before we go anywhere else. And and this is the statement uh, in in the affirmation, number four, they say this. The fall introduced distortions into the relationships between men and women. And then here's the subcategories. In the home, because of the fall and because of sin, the husband's loving, humble headship tends to be replaced by either domination or passivity. Hmm. The wife's intelligent, willing submission tends to be placed by assertion of that authority.
0: You, uh, usurption? You, U- U-S-U-R? Yes, okay,
1: usurption or civility. Servility, hmm. which is, you know, I can't do anything without a man. So yeah. I love that statement because, mm. as we say, there's a ditch on either side of the road. Yeah. But what sin did is it took these beautiful roles— and then it distorted them. And there's yeah. sort of two ways. It's in the authoritarian aspect yeah. or in the passive aspect. Hmm. And um, then when we can get into this, then God pronounces specific curses. Yeah, can we get into that? Yep. Talk there's about consequences that? now. Yeah. The implications you
0: know. for both wives and husbands from those curses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
1: you know, God says to the woman in Genesis 3.16, he says this, I will surely, and by the way, this is really important to note, Genesis 3.15 is a promise of a savior. So before there's a curse, there's a promise of salvation. Proto-evangelium. Super important to know that. I learned that that big word from you. That (laughs)
0: that means the first gospel. First gospel. It's the promise of Jesus right there.
1: And God preaches it. And so I think it's very important to know the Bible starts with original blessing. It doesn't start with original sin. Amen. The Bible starts with God saying, I'm going to fix this before he talks about the curses and consequences. Super important theology. But in Genesis 3.16, he says this. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And then here it is. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So now what we see with the woman is this conflict and desire. And it's very interesting that God used the word desire there. As Augustine would say, all sin is disordered love. Yeah, disordered um, priorities, disordered desires. Yeah, and so now the desire is: I I want a man, I want a husband, I want a safe environment, I want to be led. Yeah, but I don't trust that man. Yeah, and I mm. I want to uh, you know usurp that authority that's yeah. there and and to control this mm. aspect of that, and then to the man, it's very interesting with Eve. He directly relates it to childbearing and then to the relationship to the husband. And then to Adam in Genesis 3, 17 and 18, he says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. The reason why God says that is to address the passivity of the man. Mm. We see that Adam was there with Eve when Eve was talking to Satan. And we just kind of said Sunday. Hey, if you see your wife talking to Satan, you should interrupt that conversation. <laughs> you should
0: do something about that. Can I put, can I pause for a second? Yep. Because I think there's a distinction that should be made from verse 17. Um, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you shouldn't eat and then curses the ground is the sin isn't listening to Eve. Correct. Because as we get to later with submission isn't, it's not total silence. Right. Um, what, is that, what does that look like? What, I mean, he's obviously not saying to Adam, oh, you should never listen to your wife. Yeah, for sure, um, for is, sure. Is he addressing just that passivity? Is that, is well, that what's it, going on? Yeah,
1: it, it just goes another step because who did Eve listen to? Yeah, And so it was a failure to lead. It yeah. was a failure to um, reintroduce God's word in his design. Yeah. And so now they're following the lie yeah. versus what God has promised. Yeah. And so again, in that, it's not this barbaric, you listen to a woman that, right. that, that that that's not it at all yeah. it's the lie that's good. you you've believed the lie and as so, well and
0: so what's the curse the product of that
1: yeah he says um he says because of this curse it is the ground because of you and mm-hmm. in pain there's pain again you shall eat of it all the days of your life thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field so now what we have what i believe this is teaching, and it's interesting. God directly correlates um, the consequence from Eve to her relationship with her husband. He does that with the man, but he says to the man, the ground's cursed now, and you're going to have to eat from it, but it's going to resist and it's going to fight back. I think the logical flow of that is now the man's temptation is to neglect his wife in order to provide and Mm. fight against this ground. Now we're in it. Now, you know, and so that's why you talk to anybody. I mean, dude, any young man who's been married for a little bit or who has a child for the first time, Yeah, I can just set my watch to the conversation of, dude, how do you find the balance of providing for your family, but also being present and being there with your family, and not neglecting your family.
0: You asked that You asked that question to a pastor once. What did he say to you?
1: Yeah, I asked that uh, to our listeners. We got to go down to the Village Church years ago, and Pastor Matt Chandler, and I like raised my hand in this Q&A and was like, Hello, Pastor Matt. Um, <laughs> that's I'm a, how, that's I'm a, how you said I'm it. I'm a pastor at a church, and <laughs> I'm also a young husband, and I know that you walk this path. Um, how do you find the balance of leading a church family, but at the same time being a husband at home and leading that family and finding that balance? And like midway through the question, his face turned into like a scowl. Like he just looked at me and then he paused for a while and he said, God made men to go to bed tired at night. If you're not going to bed tired, you're doing it wrong. Mm. Next question.
0: And I was like, That's super affirming. Oh, like, (laughs) you know, okay. Where's the wisdom in that though? Because we see, we see, we see this work. I mean, in verse 19, it says by the sweat of your face, you're fighting against this stuff to eat bread. Like, yeah, the application of that is, is
1: that there's no perfect answer Mm. that there is no balance. I mean, I mean, there there's rhythms, Yeah, there's rhythms, but listen, this is the groaning in Romans eight. Yeah. That all of creation groans and longs for redemption guys. Mm. This is what we're waiting for Jesus to come back and fix. yeah. And so, yes, that's why, you know, we jokingly say there's a term for people struggling in their marriage, and it's married, yeah, because this is going to happen. Yeah. And so again, there's a bit of freedom in that, yeah, you know, to know, like, okay, man, there's outside forces at play here., yeah. there's a lot that's happening, but there's real consequences with it. So yeah. I think that's the way it plays out with the man and the woman when it comes. But then again, we see that Adam and Eve have children. Yeah. And it's interesting. God creates everything. The only thing that human beings create is after the fall, and it produces death. Mm. In Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. Yeah. Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Genesis 4, 8. Yeah. So there's dysfunction already in the family. Yeah. And so, you know. Th- that is what we're fighting against. God created the family. Yeah, sin distorted the family. Yeah. but but there's still good news
0: there. Yeah, it's Jesus restores the family. Yes, um, there's a lot of bad news after the fall. Um, but but we see that good news there. And, and I'm going to read verse 15 uh, in Genesis chapter three. It says, "I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." Can we talk about that just for a minute? What that original promise is before we kind of jump into like the application of what uh, the perfect life of Jesus and the cross and the death and the burial and the resurrection. How that restores the family. Yeah, can we talk about verse fifteen and what that what that promise is? Yeah, um, unpack en- enmity and then uh, maybe even a little bit of a biology lesson for offspring and offspring. And yeah, for and sure, it's
1: interesting that God says to Eve, "Offspring." It's the word seed, yeah. and just biology: women don't carry seed; men do. So, so yeah. who's he talking to? Well, he also involves the enemy in that. And I love the way one pastor puts it: whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. Mm. So God has a kingdom. Well, Satan has a kingdom of darkness. God has a family. Satan wants to have a family as well. And so he says these two families are going to be fighting each other. And we literally see it in the next chapter as to what takes place. And so the resistance again and the conflict that's taking place there um, is spiritual but that's also played out within our own families. I mean, Jesus's family, Jesus had conflict with his family members. Mm. There's a moment in the gospels where Jesus is teaching and somebody comes and says, your family wants to talk to you. They think you're crazy. Yeah. And he goes, who is my family, but those who do the will of God. Mm. I mean, so we see all of this taking place, but yeah. Jesus restores the family and that's in the text. It's yeah. really interesting to see. Yeah. That's
0: really good. Well, Jesus, Jesus restores the family. What, what is, if we're talking about marriage as like the, if we're talking about the home as the embassy for the kingdom of God an embassy for the kingdom of God and marriage is sort of the center of that. If Jesus restores the family, what's that mean for marriage? Like, is there a marriage that's too far along or broken to be helped? Is there a marriage that's so perfect that it needs no help at all? Um, What does it mean that Jesus restores the family?
1: Yeah, man, that's a good question. I'm still... Call me naive or whatever it is. I've, I've been pastoring long enough, I think, to know that there are some devastating things that can happen in a marriage. Um, we've taught on divorce and remarriage. That's on our website um, through the Sermon on the Mount, you, uh, Jesus Uncensored. You can go check that out. Maybe we can put the link of that in the show notes. Yeah. I do believe that the New Testament talks about some uh, divorce clauses in there, but still I believe that God's intention is Uh, is for the marriage to work. And listen, I firmly believe that if Jesus Christ really died and he rose again on the third day, that nothing is so dead that it can't be resurrected. And just like an embassy has an ambassador and a ruler... We see in the text the word Lord used seven times in these verses. I mean, wives, fitting in the Lord, children, pleases the Lord, uh, bond servants, fearing the Lord, whatever you do for the Lord. I mean, it's Lord, 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 master, master, Lord, Lord. So in how Jesus restores the family is that Jesus is the head of the family. Mm. And you've got to understand that. How's that work? Yeah, that works that dad... You've got to use language at home with your kids that that Jesus runs this family. Yeah. Dad, that you work for Jesus. Yeah. Mom, that you work for Jesus. Kids, that when you obey, you're obeying ultimately Jesus. Yeah. And, and that's who governs and and runs this. We're all in equal submission to yeah. Christ first and foremost. Yeah,
0: that's good. That's good. Well, and then we get to the boots on the ground applications of this right there at the beginning in verse eighteen, and we're going to be talking about some stuff here that's difficult. Um, The Bible has all the answers. We don't, Uh, and anything that we offer from our own lives is likely going to be uh, just something that we've learned either directly from the scriptures or from men who are older and wiser than us, uh, or our own mistakes that we've made probably in the last twenty-four hours. So, so let's jump right into it. the first application we move into is for wives, and that's right there in verse eighteen. Uh, and I watched, and I watched you uh, read this and say this as your point, and then I saw you go, and then like gulp a little. <laughs> it's bit. the first point in the yeah, sermon, uh, you know. and it's, yeah. and it's this: wives uh, submit. Yep. Um, and I mean, we've said this over and over again. The word "submit," uh, regardless of, of who you are, male or female, husband or wife, that's a dirty word in twenty twenty one,
1: especially in the American Western culture, man. I mean, we have... A, a big problem in, in the American Western church yeah. that a lot of other contexts and a lot of other dignity and honor in the home yeah. and this, that, and the other that a lot of cultures just don't yeah. struggle with in that sense. Well, even
0: back in the day, uh, last week you had mentioned about how the word humility in, in ancient Greek texts was always used in the negative term. Until that Christianity. Hu- yeah, that hum- that humility was a bad thing because yep. you showed your dominance and your power through force and strength. It, humility was bad.
1: Yeah, Rome didn't rule the world through humility, right, correct,
0: right. and and it's almost like we can identify with that today. Like you would think that humility would be a positive virtue in 2021, but just by hearing the word "submit" and the tension in the room, yep, it's almost like that's still true today. A hundred percent. That that humility is a bad word, just like submission.
1: And and just a pastoral note here, if 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 you're a believer listening to this. And, and, and you're reading the Bible. Let's say that, you know, you're in your Bible reading plan and you run across these verses, you know, on a Thursday morning, 6 a.m., cup of coffee, just reading your Bible, and, and you feel that tension in your chest. As Christians, we come to the scriptures with an assumption that says There's something in me that's wrong with this. Yeah. Not the Bible. Mm, That's good. The moment that we start saying, well, this doesn't mean you know, so we can maybe make it easier, yeah. it's a dangerous place to go. Yeah. So so I just think practically, man, even just reading your Bible, yeah. when I come across something that A, there seems like a contradiction, seems wrong, or I don't like, I yeah. have to assume I'm the problem, yeah. not the Bible. Yeah.
0: And that's what, we, that's what you got into here. Uh, there's, there's three things like, because even our own idea of the word submit and submission is wrong and flawed. Right. Like we hear that word and we're like, oh, that just means that I need to be totally like in submission 100% to everything that I am told and said, and I have no voice or no say, yeah. and that I'm diminished and inferior. Uh, and that's the first thing. We go through three things of what submission is not. And the first thing is inferior. Right. It's not inferiority. Can we talk about that for a second? Like, uh, yeah, why th- is submission not inferiority?
1: I think that's huge because um, first and foremost, the word means to voluntarily place yourself under. It's a, it's a military term. And, and it doesn't mean less than. And I think that's the first knee-jerk reaction is that women are less than men, whether mm-hmm. it's society or this, that, and the other. <clears throat> and we, we spent some time and talked about one of the reasons why Christianity flourished under the Roman rule and empire was its high value of women. And I mean, we even see this, you know, in Jesus's teaching, but when we go back to Genesis, it says God created them male and female. He created them in his own image, in his own image. Now, now a lot of people go, well, that's just Genesis. That's poetry. Well, Jesus affirms that in Matthew chapter 16. He says, as it was written, therefore, a man should leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. He created them male and female. Jesus affirms yeah. Genesis 1, 2, and the And the two shall
0: become one flesh. Yes. Yeah. So,
1: so the sentence that we said was, and this is a controversial statement. I understand this. People struggle with this. Yeah. Men and women are equal in value. But distinct in their roles yeah. in marriage.
0: That's sort of a definition of a of a word that that we use, um, or that is used in terms of uh, men and women's roles. And and what is that word?
1: Yeah, yeah. So so it's the word complementarian. Yeah. And you know, this is a newish word about the late '80s, but it means not compliment and like we're giving each other, you know, high fives right. and wow, you look good today. The word is within uh, within. I, I think, rather than with an E, meaning to complete hmm. that aspect. So one of the things that wasn't good in the creation account was that Adam was alone. Yeah. And so God made a helper fit for him. So it's a puzzle piece. It's this aspect. And, yeah. and again, it's important to note This is under the topic of marriage. Yeah. This isn't necessarily in societal roles. Yeah. So men and women are equal in value, but distinct in roles in marriage. And I said, you know, we see this, uh, you know, very, very elementary illustration of this is your gas pedal and brake pedal in your car. You need both of them for the vehicle to move forward. Yeah. They are equal in their value to make that vehicle move forward, but they are distinct in their roles. And if you want your marriage to move forward, I believe that that you have to understand that concept.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Well, complementarianism sort. Well, you said this earlier, like, like the with, with everything in terms of sin, um, there's a ditch on either side of the road. Yep. And complementarianism is sort of kind of in the middle. It's like butted up next to egalitarianism. Yeah, but sure. What, what what's what swings on the pendulum of both sides of those? Because you yeah. used a chart, used a graph on yep. Sunday, and it swung one one way and then another way, and both of those were extremes. Can yep. we talk about the one that's? Um, More on the on the wives side. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. So so I think on the extreme, on the far left, whatever that means, I think you have hardcore feminism. Okay, so which is, you know, we don't even need a man. Mm -hmm. Anything that men do is horrible. You know, this, that and the other. And then I think you have feminism. And then I think you move to a complementarian. A lot of people would say that they're complementarian. But actually in their roles more function as an egalitarian. What's that? An egalitarian would say that there's not a distinction in the roles, that mm. the roles are interchangeable um, in 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 that aspect. And now again, I I still think that there's some danger in complementarianism because on the yeah. far right aspect of complementarianism is what would be called sort of like a patriarchy, yeah. which is you know, men are like kings and they rule and reign and women are inferior and yeah. all of that. And that is not what we are saying. Yeah. What we're simply saying is equal in value, but yeah. we're saying that there are defined, distinct roles yeah. in marriage when it comes to that.
0: Yeah, that's good. Well, we saw, so that's one thing that submission is not, inferiority. The second thing that it's not is is absolute. Yep. Um, what do you mean by that? Because we, we talked a moment here um, in Colossians chapter 3, and in verse 18, he says, Wives submit to your husbands. Yep. Um, why is that important? And how does that uh, draw? How is that an extension of how submission is not absolute?
1: Yeah. So it, he says, Your husband, which means and tells me that all women don't submit to all men. That's hmm. not what we are saying. Um, I believe that the Christian home and then the church. I believe God has a certain structure for both of those things. Those are instituted and created by God, yeah. and again, I think both of those things are an embassy of heaven here on earth. Yeah. And I believe that there's distinct roles for men and women in both of those. Yeah. So what we are not saying is that all women submit to all women. Uh, all women submit to all men in every form or fashion. We yeah. are not saying that.
0: Yeah. No, that's good. You used an illustration before we started the podcast, um, and I just like. What's an example of those roles? Like just yeah. just something simple. Um, I, you had mentioned before the podcast, like like because beca- because we are because we are same in value but distinct in roles, that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean that like the husband should be the one who is constantly and always demandingly in control of the finances. Correct. Yeah. Like, or something may, like, like that. Maybe yeah. wife, maybe you're maybe you're gifted and better at numbers. Yep. Like that's okay. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely.
1: I think one of the things that complementarianism does is that it can place a lot of guilt and shame on men, mm. you know, to stand up and go, you know, you're the leader of the home and it's all your fault and, you know, yeah. all of that. And it and all depends on, depends on you. Yeah, no, yeah. no, yeah. not at all. And and so one of the things is like boots on the ground. And and hopefully next week we can have our wives in on this conversation. That's why yeah. we're not going to spend too much time on the wives section because we're men yeah. and we just need to be quiet on some stuff. Right. And, but like when it comes to our home, I mean, Courtney's way better when it comes to the finances. I mean, yeah. that woman can squeeze 10 cents out of a nickel. I mean, it's <laughs> unbelievable. And so she's gifted in that area. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I think one of the ways in which that I can lead in that. And when we lead, it's to create a a nurturing environment in that sense. And so I think the illustration that I've heard best is that if Jesus were to knock on the door of the Jordan household, and let's say there was conflict or something taking place, and let's say that for the sake of the example, the conflict, even whatever, lied with Courtney, Mm. and Courtney answered the door, he would say, I'm going to talk to you in a minute, but where's Jason? Yeah. That, I, I just think that's the way in which it's equal in value, but distinct yeah. in roles. In yeah. that. And, and one of the things I said was male headship does not diminish yeah. or cancel. Female leadership—that's mm, good. So I, I just think it's important to yeah. note that. So when it comes to boots on the ground, that's why marriage is a dance. Yeah, is figuring these things out. What What are you good at? What am I good at? What does this look like? But also, how can we function in these roles yeah. that we see that are designed for us?
0: That's good. Submission's not inferiority. It's not absolute, and it's also not silence. No. Um, the scriptures are filled with women who speak wisdom and speak life uh, and speak a lot of truth. Um. Uh, you talked about a story in the book of Acts where a guy's getting up and is passionate about Jesus, but these women pull him aside and like, hey, you need to go to seminary. Bless your heart. <laughs> that was a good sermon
1: and you love Jesus, but that theology yeah. was bad, uh, yeah. you know. And the,
0: the only people that we see at the foot of the cross, I mean, Jesus' disciples abandon him. Yeah. The women are there. Right. And, and
1: yeah. I mean, for, for just a boots on the ground for the rest of the sermon, there was a season in Courtney and I's life where we were facing a very difficult decision, we were getting pursued by a church out in Bethel, Indiana, and we were at a very watershed moment in our life. Yeah. And we had gone through the final interview process, and they had basically said, "Hey, listen, man, the job is yours." And we were also faced with the decision of Westside, and that yeah. was in its infant, infant stages of of, of all of that. Yeah. And where submission is not silence is Courtney spoke her mind into this situation and said, this is what I believe. Yeah. This is what I see. This is what I think is right for our family. And then she said, but I will follow you. Yeah. Wherever you lead our family. Yeah. (sighs) Man, listen, if you think that's just some like, you know, I get to lead and it's my way or the highway. You just have no idea the weight of
0: responsibility yeah. that is, and it so also f- puts wind in your sails to know that you have someone on your team, hundred percent, not beneath you. Yep, yeah, hundred percent, man. Yeah, that's good. Well, we talked about what what submission is not, and I'm just going to read what submission is, um, and then we'll have our wives on next week, and we can unpack what submission is with them in Absolutely. a little more depth, um, especially since we'll be getting into parenting um, yeah. and how that kind of uh, falls under that. So, three things that re- that submission is. Number one, it's a reflection of the Trinity. Number two, it's a recognition of God's authority, Lord over all. And number three, it's permission for my husband to lead. Yeah, it's voluntary permission. I don't know if we want to spend any time there, or I can. Uh, we can just kind of unpack next week. Yeah, and I think.
1: I, I think just on the first point. Yeah, and I think it's important if you're a lady listening to this. Submission is a reflection of the Trinity. In 1 Corinthians eleven three, 3, it says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. So there we already see that the man is submitting to Christ. Yeah. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. What we see in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is equal in value, yeah. but distinct in roles. Yeah. And we see Jesus saying in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Let this cup pass. But not my will, but yours be done.
0: Yeah.
1: That and What's so he there? he's submitting to yeah. the father's will. Yeah. And so I think it, it it's rooted in the godhead. That you know that's where we say that all of our theology derives from the gospel yeah. and from the nature and character of God. That's why listen that's why as Christians, we think marriage is a big deal. Yeah. We, we should believe that it's a big deal because Paul says in Ephesians 5, hey, listen, husbands do this, wives do this, this, that, and the other. And then he says, but I am, I am saying yeah. that this refers to Christ and the church. Mm.
0: And it's a great mystery. So, if
1: you mess with marriage and the roles of marriage, you literally distort the image of the gospel. Yeah, marriage is yeah. a mirror of the gospel. It's a big deal. Yeah, big, is deal. A big deal.
0: Well, let me read. You wrote a, read a, yeah, you read a quote from the ESV Study Bible that I'm going to close out our section on wives with this morning, and then we'll jump into husbands. Um, from the ESV Study Bible, this is from page 2528. It says this: Female submission is not servile weakness, but rather a display of strength and trust in God as the woman uses all of her God-given abilities while refusing to usurp the male authority in her life. The fall greatly distorted the harmonious yet distinct way men and women were intended to function together, and God's people are called to show the world how men and women are meant to relate in mutually beneficial ways for the glory of God. It's so much bigger than just your roles. Yeah.
1: I mean, literally and I think it's important for couples to know this, your marriage is God's mission field. Yeah. For your unsaved friends and for people to look at that and to see that God has designed things and that there's an order there. Your marriage is a mission for God.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, we'll pick up on those, what submission is with our wives next week. Hopefully we can get schedules worked out and have them on next week. Talk about that and talk about parenting. Let's move into husbands. Let's move in on the men. Yep. Right there, it's the very next verse in verse 19. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And the point was simply this, husbands, love, Yep. love your wives. Um, the word that Paul uses there is, is the word agapo or aga- agape, Yeah. Uh, which is to love. And it's the word that, that God uses uh, for God's love towards us. Yep. Why is that definition of love more important than some of the other translations in the Greek in terms of love Um and how is that important for us?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a number of words in the language for love. There's phileo, brotherly love, and then there's sort of erotic um, love. But this love in the scriptures is always used as God being the origin and then to his people as to who he loves. Yeah. And we just talked about, guys, listen, our society is in love with love. Yeah. I mean, love is the ultimate idol, yeah. It's and nobody defines it. It's just feelings-based. It's either Cupid or it's Nicholas Sparks or it's all of this stuff. And subconsciously, what we end up doing is bleeding these expectations into our marriage. But the gospel has to define what love is for us. And we said love is the Mm. self-sacrificing commitment to seek the best for your spouse. Hmm. That's what love is. That's good. It's self-sacrificing, no yeah. greater love uh, than a man has than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. Yeah. We see Jesus do this. Yeah. And it's a commitment. That's why I said, like when I do premarital counseling or weddings, I do not let people write their own vows <laughs> because you're going to say something stupid. Right? You're, it's not going to, it, it's it's uh, this feelings based thing. What your vows are at a marriage have nothing to do with that day. Yeah, they are a future promise. Yeah, what you're saying is when it's bad, I'm I'm promising today to be there in the future. Yeah. rich or poor, sickness, health. So it's that commitment, and then it's to seek the best for your spouse. So yeah. for men to put it very succinctly, love is you before me. Mm. Love is that woman before you. Yeah. Her needs before yours, her environment before yeah. yours, all of those things like that. That's what we're called to. Yeah.
0: That's good. Why love? Like I was thinking about this this week. I was thinking about it yesterday in prep for this. Like why didn't Paul say like wives submit to your husbands and, and husbands like provide for your wife, Serve your wife. Yeah. Provide for your wife. Make your wife happy. Yeah. Because a happy wife makes a happy life. Lo- like right. Like, why is it love? Why love your wives? What is it about fallen man that makes it the thing that we struggle with the most to love our wives? Because love is the
1: only thing that can change somebody's heart. Mm. It is the thing, as Paul said a few verses earlier, that binds everything together. Yeah. If your service, if your provision, if all of that is motivated in anything else, than a self-sacrificing commitment to seek the best for your spouse, yeah. it will always end up selfish. Yeah. Um, which is what he then says in the later part of the verse, which is really, really interesting as to why he says that. Yeah.
0: Well, you quoted C. S. Lewis. Um, and yeah. th- this is more like man. Yeah. If you <laughs> if you want to have a good sermon about marriage, you get C.S. Lewis to talk to the men in the room. Yeah. Um and it's it's more guided alongside like the role of the man. Um in the role of the husband. I'm going to read the quote. The husband is the head of the wife, just insofar as he is to her what Christ is to the church, and read on, and gave his life for her. Mm. This headship then is most fully embodied, not in the husband we should wish to be, but in the man whose marriage is most like a crucifixion, whose wife receives the most and gives the the least beautiful man
1: that is it those are some very
0: very heavy words and are sort of like a slap in the face to what we default to right um man if you're out there i can't I, I, i i know that the common response is i do so much i x y and z when's it my turn like when am i going to get what i deserve quote in my life when is this going to be returned back to me and that that's not self sacrificing commitment right that train of thought is our fallen serving nature serving yourself yeah it's creeping in and saying i'm giving to get not i'm giving because i love right i'm serving because i love and I love the way that Lewis says, In the man whose marriage is most like a crucifixion, because that, in on the cross, we see the ultimate display of this. In Absolutely. Christ. We see this love. We see this self sacrificing commitment to the salvation of humanity, wanting the best for us and for the children of God. Yeah. So, one of the apl- applicable ways that Paul writes to the church in Colossae and says this is right after he says, Love your wives. He says, Don't be harsh with them. Yeah. Like, and you said tra- some translations will say bitter, don't be di- Yeah, the word before. harsh
1: translates to bitter. Yeah,
0: why, like, what are some, I just want to ask this, what are some examples of being harsh? Like, it, yeah. like, how can we be harsh with our wives to sort of see, oh yeah, I see this in myself now, and this is something that I can address?
1: Yeah, it's almost like he was anticipating the response of, well, when I do lead or when I do try, blank happens. Right. And, and, and so he knows, you know, to be bitter and harsh means that there was maybe a response that you had an expectation or an intention and you didn't get or receive that expectation. Yeah. And so he's curbing that response and saying, but don't be bitter and don't be harsh. And, you know, the, the old, the, the etymology of the word husband actually comes from a word meaning gardener, mm. which is really interesting when you think about it. And so, like I've heard a guy say... If you don't like what is in your garden then that's on you for allowing that to grow there in that sense that the responsibility lies with you in that. And and I said that there's two ways, two types of bitterness. There's covert bitterness and then overt bitterness. Yeah. Covert bitterness is you know, let's say you do the dishes or something like that, and you don't get the response that you want. And so in your heart and in your mind, you're like, man, I bet other wives, I bet other women would kill to have me as their husband. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't get this. And I bet, you know, so it's this um, this unspoken stuff, you know, and yeah. then the covert aspect is is the harshness with tone domineering in your, you know, in your physical uh, stature, yeah. in all of that stuff of being outright harsh and, and bitter in yeah. that sense. And, yeah. and listen, every man struggles with this um, because of the assertion of, of the fall. And so, you know, maybe you're more passive, grew up in a passive home. And so for you, it's more covert bitterness. You're not saying anything, but man, your heart is dark, yeah. With these thoughts and um, these expectations, or maybe you're overt in it with your tone and this, that, and the other. And listen, man, just just full transparency for me, um, you know what's funny and what gets rewarded sometimes in the pulpit of being able to make an argument and be crass and be quick. Listen, man, is detrimental in my marriage. Mm. Um, I can change the entire day. We could be at Disneyland. We could be in the greatest circumstance and context, and I could just say the word what or why to my wife and completely inject some bitterness or harshness into the situation, yeah. and it changes everything. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, for me, that's super convicting just because when I look at Jesus I see the opposite of this. Yeah. Jesus says, come to me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Oh man. Guys, that's it for us, man. Yeah,
0: No, that's good. And yeah, I want to reiterate that. Like we don't wear capes, man. Like the reason, the reason that we're on a stage and the reason that we, we get to do what we do has nothing to do with uh, a level of perfection in our lives. No way. um, With a level of, I've got it togetherness. I mean, we, you guys have been married for 10 years, my wife and 11. I. 11. Yeah. My wife and I are coming up on 10. It's a drop in the bucket in comparison to a lifelong marriage full of wisdom and mistakes and lessons learned and yeah. all of that. and, and
1: one and, thing, you know, just full disclosure, yeah. I even talked to you like a little bit, like... Should we even have a podcast about this? Right. Just because one of the things that I see so dangerous yeah. in my generation that everybody has a YouTube channel, yeah. everybody has an Instagram, anybody can have a podcast.
0: Everyone's is, an influencer. Yes, Got that is guys, next to your you know, name on social media.
1: Sadie Robinson, who's been married for fourteen months, writes a marriage book. And, and listen, a God lover. That's you know, maybe I shouldn't have said that if my wife was here. I probably she'd be like, you shouldn't have said that. But what I'm saying is. There are some things yeah. that you cannot speak to that yeah. just require time, yeah. man. That yeah. just require time. Yeah, absolutely.
0: You know? I, well, when you say things like, "like I can identify with bitterness and, and being harsh with my wife," within the last like thirty six hours, sure, something is something at the house. I think that I've done something that's that's uh, worthy of either praise or, or some kind of acclamation or whatever, and I don't get the response that I want. Um, I'll I'll do both. I'll start with covert bitterness, and I'll think in my mind, and I'll pout for a while, and like ah well, she doesn't realize what she's, what she's got here. And I'm like puffing myself up and then overtly like I'll just snap and, yeah. and and it will flow out. I'm not somebody that you should listen to for husband or marriage advice. <laughs> um, we we want to see, and that's why we come to the scriptures, guys. Amen. That's why that's we come it. here. We're, we're not trying to offer anything that's new. We're trying to offer something that's holy and that's established. And it's what we see here in God's word. I've got a
1: great story um, yeah. along this lines. And it, it's um, Billy Graham was at a crusade And um, later on in life, when the kids were older, Ruth Graham got to travel with him and she was actually a counselor. So whenever Billy would give the invitation and all, you know, thousands of people would come forward, Ruth would serve and lead these people to Christ, which was great. And she was praying with this woman and they got through praying and the woman was just watching Billy talk. And Ruth could kind of tell that there was a twinkle in this woman's eye, that she was a little uh, swoon by Billy. And the woman yeah. stared and then finally said, I can't imagine what it's like to wake up next to a man like that every day. And this woman had no idea that it was Ruth Graham. Yeah. No no clue. And Ruth Graham just laughed and said, well, honey, I can tell you it's nothing to shake a stick at.
0: <laughs> and I just,
1: man, I, I love that uh, because, guys, Billy Graham? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. You know, and I just think it's so important to know that in, in our generation, I think there's this thing that I call the mentor myth, yeah. that we're going to find this perfect married couple mm. that's going to speak every perfect little thing into our life. And later on in Titus, we see these older women get exhorted to speak to the younger women, to teach them to just love their wives yeah. or, or to love their husbands yeah. and to serve their kids. What, what this is, if you're listening to this, and if you're struggling in your marriage, the, the the one of the first questions that Courtney and I would ask is, who do you have in your life? Yeah. Are you in a community group? Are you at the women's thing? Are you at the men's thing? Who do you have in your life? And then secondly, is there an older couple that you can just have dinner with or just speak or just go into their home or just, I mean, it's, it's just to watch as the apostle Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so I I just wanted to say that because I think it's super important that we're coming from a place of, we are so Standing yeah. underneath the cross saying yeah. there's room. We are not standing above the cross saying this is the way. Right. You know, it's that, that's that's just different.
0: Well, and I love the mentor myth because, like, you can't, you can't. I'm just going to encourage you now. Like, if you're looking for somebody that's going to be immediately accessible in your life, that's going to look across the table from you and say, I'm proud of you. I love you like a dad or like a mom, or like, I have all of this wisdom to offer you and I have not broken any of what you call. I can fix call, it all for you. Yeah. Or, or even the standard, like, oh, those people don't have any major issues going on in their life. Like that person doesn't exist. You're going to find a married couple who's been married for 40, 50, 50 years that, that have made some major mistakes and may not be even perfect now. But the point is not finding the perfect couple. We've already been given the perfect person. That's Jesus Christ. We've been given the perfect word and that's God's word. And we need people who have lived in this thing longer than us. And so, So find those people, whether they meet your standards or not, find those people and get in community with them. Courtney and I have on multiple occasions, there are two older couples
1: in the church and Courtney and I have sat down with them, aired our grievances about each other. And those men looked at me and said, bro you need to get your stuff together. Mm. And those older women looked at Courtney and said, young lady, you need to sit down in this area. And then they exhorted us and they loved us. And I mean, even simple things that when the meeting was over, just this dear guy that I love so much said, all right, stand up, hold hands, look each other in the eye, Tell them that you love them and why, and then we're going to pray. I mean, like, dude, we
0: need this stuff, yeah,
1: like big time, man. And so
0: this is the only way it's going to work that way. That's good. Well, we're wrapping up here. I've got a few more questions. I want to ask a question about covert and overt bitterness. What are the dangers of bitterness in marriage and where can that lead to?
1: Ooh, yeah, man. So what's interesting is later on in Hebrews, we see bitterness um, leads to unforgiveness Mm -hmm. always. That's the next step. So, so if you're living in a place of bitterness, the next zip code next to that is unforgiveness. Yeah. Interesting, in Hebrews, and I can't think of the reference off the top of my head, the very next verse when it talks about the root of bitterness talks about sexual immorality. Mm. So if we follow the line logically, I would say 99.9% of the time in marriage when sexual infidelity takes place Once you spend time unpacking that, it leads all the way back to somebody feeling like, well, I wasn't getting this, and he wasn't saying this to me, or she wasn't doing this for me, and then I went searching for it, Mm. and then I used my bitterness as justification for my actions to go to something like this. Yeah. Listen, that's why the apostle Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Yeah. That's got to be resolved immediately. Yeah. So I, I know everybody thinks they're the exception, but if, if if you right now listening to this are in a place of bitterness in your marriage, yeah. Um that's got to get resolved yeah. because it's so dangerous as to what proceeds next. Yeah,
0: Matthew 18 offers a good way for conflict resolution within the church, even among spouses. Yeah. Like, go, go to your wife or your husband first. And just be honest. Yes. Hey, I'm bitter about this. Help me with this. You know
1: what counselors say all the time? Counselors and psychiatrists say all the time, people come to them and tell them what they should be saying to the other person. Mm. And all the counselor does is go, hey, I understand what you just said. Why yeah. don't you go tell Bill that?
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So absolutely. Yeah. That's yes. Good. Yeah. That's really good. So the Christian's home is an embassy of heaven on earth. Um, just a couple final questions. Uh, what should we do if we're already bitter? Like mm. if you're already there, you're already bitter. Can anything heal bitterness? Um, what's a good step? I know we can go like, m- maybe you've gone to your spouse and said, I'm bitter. And and you're really not seeing any sort of fruit or product from that. Yeah. Um, well, basically where can a married couple go if they think they need help like reconciling or communicating?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I think if you find yourself in a place of bitterness um and and especially men, I want to speak to the men because that's what the apostle Paul is doing here. Yeah. You need to um you need to run to community for help. <clears throat> you need to talk to your community group leader, your table leader at your men's thing you have got to confess that and get yeah. that out in the open. There is something powerful about when you bring that into the light. I have a very, very dear friend, and and he would he's given me permission to share this story, but just probably one of the godliest men that I know um, found himself in infidelity um, on his part in the role, and he would say that it's because it was from a place of bitterness, mm. and... He didn't talk to anybody about it. He just kept justifying it, justifying it, justifying it, building his case <clears throat> until he built up enough bitter motivation um, to execute and go somewhere else for his needs. Mm. And so I would say if you find yourself there, you've got to run and get that out in the open. Yeah. Secondly, I mean, pursue your pastor, pursue your church. Yeah. Um, there's reasons why God has placed these people in our lives. And then thirdly, we strongly believe at West Side. We have spent thousands of dollars of sending married couples to specialists. Listen, your pastor, though he does preach a sermon and spend some time studying things, and maybe there was a connection in the sermon, and you felt like, man, he's speaking directly to me, first off, that's the Holy Spirit, and that's not that man. But secondly, Pastors and churches need to know that when they can pass off a situation to specialists and people that are more fully equipped. Yeah. So please go pursue those avenues and resources and common grace that God's provided.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's really, really good. Well, we'll drop the Dan verse statement number four in the show notes for you guys. Um, and then we'll tag in as well the the message from the series Jesus Uncensored on marriage. Yeah. And, and then next week we will strive to have our wives on to For sort sure. of do a part two on marriage here and, and cover— uh, a little more in-depth uh, submit and love um, and what that looks like in our lives as we tackle the idea of parenting
1: yep. as well. I also want to say there's two yeah. um, really, really great resources that go hand in hand. If you're listening to this and you're like, what can we do to strengthen our marriage spiritually? Yeah. Um, there's a book by Tim and Kathy Keller um, called The Meaning of Marriage. It defines these roles. I mean, this is highly influential. A ton of the stuff anytime I use to preach and teach comes from that, but they also have um, a 365-day little devotional for husbands and wives that go along with the book. So each morning, it's just a few verses. It's an insight from either Tim or Kathy, and then a prayer that you can pray together as yeah. a husband and a
0: wife. That's and good. so the meaning of marriage, I would highly, highly, highly recommend that. Yeah, that's really good. Really good. Well, we're right in an hour. Um, I am going to read a closing verse and then give some info on us. This is from our text last week. Um, and it's so applicable. It's from Colossians 3, verse 12. I'm sorry, from two weeks ago. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, Put on love, mm. which binds everything together yeah, in perfect harmony. Amen. Love is what holds it all together, and we are shown that love by God in Jesus Christ on yep. the cross and in the empty grave. Thanks be to God for that good news. Guys, this has been the rest of the sermon. If you want to send in a question, we would love to hear questions from you. You can send us some questions at info at westsidepb.org, and you can visit us on our website at westsidepb.org and you can catch us uh, in our gatherings at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sundays uh, and at 11 a.m. we stream actually we have some new dates coming up in the summer you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah man it's exciting yeah. we've been um, in the game for a while and in our part of the country we're around a lot of rivers um, and stuff like that and It's just God. yeah man it's just natural that in the summertime people sort of disappear for a little bit with yeah. vacations and everything so one of the things that we want to do is we want to come alongside families Yeah. and so starting May 23rd we're going from Memorial Day all the way to Labor Day, we're going to be having one service at 10 a.m. Yeah. There's still going to be childcare, still going to be kids' side, it will still be live streamed, yep. everything. But to give our volunteers um, a rest and a good start and stop date, yeah. um, we're going to be going to one service. So just be on the lookout for that and help us spread the word.
0: That's good. That starts on May 23rd. We'll give you guys some more heads up as that's coming. As always, you can catch our live stream at 11 a.m. on Facebook. And you can catch this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. We love you guys, and may everything that we say and do always be about Jesus. Blessings, we love you, and we'll see you next time.